Hey, Daniel, you once told me that you really liked history. Help me remember, did you think about majoring in history? I didn't really think about majoring in it, but if I had majored in something other than Bible, it probably would have been history. Like what time period? Uh, what time period of history? Oh, uh-huh. that's a good question. I don't, so I, I so like, you probably uh, wouldn't American specialize. Do what? You probably wouldn't specialize. It just would have been just a general history. Just all of it. Yeah. I, if I had to specialize, I'd probably specialize in either American history or uh, like the ancient Near East. Okay. Who's your, if you're being a student, and I too, I actually applied to the school that I was going to, to be a history teacher, a history major. And I, my acceptance letter acknowledged me being a history teacher. And I know this is, most people find history very boring, kind of like this intro, but uh <laughs> It's going to get better, I, I promise. But I was before I switched majors, I was a history major because I wanted to be a history teacher. So if you like history, chances are if you were born in the U.S., you've lived in the U.S., you you know whether you're Democrat or Republican or Independent, you have an interested president. So that's my next question: If you who's your favorite president with their favorite quote? With their favorite quote, or what they're known um, for their mantra. Well, I guess for me, my my favorite is one that didn't actually do a whole lot in office because he wasn't in office, but two, three months or something like that. But, you know, James Garfield uh, was associated with the restoration movement. He was a, a he was a brother in Christ and, and a preacher, and he sort of considered it, you know, famously you know, stepping down from that role uh, in order to uh, take on the role of, of president. I, th- I think that's a really cool attitude and, and just a cool association. Well, that's, and I've heard that, that president Garfield, he had, it was an elder and he had to step down and I'm, you know, I'm like, you, I mean, you're, you're correct. But I'm paraphrasing that he had to, he had to step down basically to take the highest office in the land. So that says a lot about leadership and eldership. Um, probably my two favorite presidents, one was president of the U S and the other one was the president of the NBA. Um, the president of the U.S. I didn't uh, know you were going to go that way. Uh, um, <laughs> president Lincoln, you know, President Lincoln. He had one of my favorite quotes that I read once that uh, he said, "I have to make my words short and sweet, so I have to eat them one day." So I, I hang <laughs> yeah, on to pretty good. I hang on to that one a lot, especially with parenting. But my other favorite president was David Stern. He became president of the NBA in February the first, nineteen eighty four. And his quote, what he was known for when I was a kid, was the NBA is fantastic. So, <laughs> so those that's my realm of political uh, depth and breath is your David, political depth and breath is the NBA, <laughs> David Stern and President Lincoln. So, uh, so I appreciate I you playing along there a little bit. I'm I'm stuck in the '70s and '80s in a lot of different ways, and uh, so. So that's how I connect with President Stern too. But he passed away a few years ago. He was actually an attorney, and he was Jewish. My people knew that or not? Uh, they do now. A few more do, anyhow. Back to what we're talking about today, 
is yeah you know who else was jewish uh, that's exactly right <laughs> so so see i mean that's why they pay us the big bucks right here uh daniel a lot of people don't realize that and big show joe the engineers the the high dollar engineer i must have missed that meeting where we get paid <laughs> yeah hey they they have doubled our our podcast salary every episode that's exactly well, right and we've got stickers now that's good <laughs> we do have stickers we have stickers and but kind of going back to history uh, a little bit and you know most people in you know regardless of which outside of the political aisle that you or I or anybody may be on. And if you bring up, let's say, I'm just going to go ahead and go out on a limb, say president Lincoln, most people we are cool with it. They're cool with that. If you, in any conversation, most of the time and, but, and they accept that they embrace president Lincoln's history, his, uh, his vision, how he treated people, the way he wrote, spoke. And, and I, and they, everybody always points to his, his failures and his successes, you know, how he ran for office and got beat and, and all those things grew up, educated himself and all those things, but he's not nearly as controversial as Jesus. And why would you, why would, I guess I'm going to ask you a two part question, Daniel, why would you say he's not as controversial, but also why do we accept easily accept the history of president Lincoln, but people struggle with the idea of Jesus being a historical figure and Jesus being the Messiah. Well, there's, uh, you know, I guess what you're leading into is Abraham Lincoln doesn't ask very much of us, but if we admit Jesus is who he says he is, then that comes with a whole lot of baggage. And a lot of responsibility on our part. A lot of responsibility. That means that we've got to accept what he teaches. That means we're accountable to him. That makes some real demands on our life that, uh, you know, just accepting information about some historical figure, you know, doesn't do. He's if he is who he said he was, then he is extremely relevant to our lives today. You know that relevant. You know, you think about even the calendars are are start or are set based on the life, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even his life, his birth. Uh, you know, at death, everything and resurrection is the calendars are even set by him. I mean, that's talking about making an impact on the world. You know, we even have time periods. He even has marked time periods because of his existence and continued existence. Um, so I guess the, you know, yeah, we, something. Well, go ahead. You know, even, even people that try to, and you're talking about how our calendar is marked in, AD and BC, you know, the year of our Lord or before Christ, but even those that are, are secular and try to take Jesus out of the calendar and use the terms, um, CE and BCE, the common era and before the common era, they're still pivoting at the same point. <laughs> they can't exactly. get away from the Math. fact that we measure time. Everything is still centered around that idea of when, Jesus came to earth. They can't get away from the math, the time, the numbers. You know, you just kind of change some phrases a little bit. Uh, so, I mean, that exactly. goes to show you that the power and the impact that Christ continues to have today. And, uh, and a couple other things I was going to say is just because uh, I was wanting you to talk about, you know, from a general sense about the definition of a Messiah. But, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there were 
ancient non-Bible writers, non-Christian historians who document the life of Christ. And we were going to kind of talk a little bit about that. And uh, before you get into, or I guess my next question for you or to kind of prompt our discussion is even um, the Apostle Paul, and I was going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. And this Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians around 55, guess what, 55 A.D., only about 25 years after Jesus' death. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, For I, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, we know that it has an underlying uh, point uh, but also Paul, he's saying that he delivered that which he also received. So, you know, where did he, where did he receive it? Well, conversations through, uh, you know, observations that others, uh, as he would record, but also by being inspired, he knew and he understood and everything lines up. I mean, our time doesn't allow for us to go through a biblical timeline or in geography necessarily, but we can line everything up and it lines just exactly the Bible lines just right up with the calendar then and now. So you think about the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with Matthew being written around 50, the fifties or sixties of AD or AD and Mark was written about the same time. Luke was written in the sixties uh, AD and John was written in the nineties AD. So you're talking about being pretty close to that time frame uh, when Christ, the 33 years that he walked, the earth. So we have obviously Bible writers, but we're going to get into a little bit of non-Bible writers who documented the life too. So in the point of all that with history and evidence is like, and I don't want to pick on president Lincoln, not trying to do that, but uh, you know, we, we have tons of evidence and people just readily accept that history. But with Christ, we also, we have more evidence, but people struggle with that, but it doesn't have to do with necessarily the evidence, but I think it has to do with having to make changes in our life. Yeah, absolutely. And the I like that you're bringing up the time period of this evidence about Jesus because it is so ancient and so close to the time when it happened. You know, there's there's not time for a lot of mythologizing uh, to happen around that. There are plenty of of witnesses that are still alive at the time that these books are written. Pretty direct that can information. Challenge narrative. Yeah, yeah. They they can. It, it's. You know, Paul and others are, are asking their readers, if you don't believe me, go and ask the other people in the area. Go go ask. People saw this. Um, so all they would have had to do is come up with some you know, counter witnesses that say, no, 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 that wasn't true. And we have this evidence to just say otherwise. And it just doesn't happen. And I'll tell you, um, I'll plug a book for I'm, I haven't written any books, but I'll plug it for somebody else. Either you guys read Cold Case Christianity. Have you read that? Uh, J. No. J. Warner Wallace, and and the whole thing is this guy is a he was an atheist, um, cold case detective out in California, and at the age of thirty five, someone invited him to worship, and he started. He'd never experienced church before, if you will. And so he started diving into it and he started looking at the gospel accounts through the eyes of a cold case detective and realized using those skills. So if anybody out there wants to, you know, look into that, it's a good book, but it talks a lot about 
through his knowledge of being a detective, he knows that these are firsthand accounts. And, you know, and I don't know a lot about that, about being a detective, those kind of things, but I know that I bet they use a lot of the scientific process. You right. Know, of you analyzing evidence, gathering, uh, you know, listening, gathering facts, making a decision. It so, goes. It goes pretty deep into like chain of of not command, but who is responsible for keeping the letter through the generations? You know, I don't want to ruin it for anybody, but how did it work out? When did, did he? It's did it's he, all true. But I mean, did he not become? <laughs> I mean, did he stop being an atheist? I was just curious. Uh, yeah, he's well, he's writing Christian books now. So yeah, that's how the story ended. <laughs> okay, that's that was what I was, and you know I would I, I'm with Joe. I would advise you know recommend that you you know maybe get that get that book, but also if you need somebody to mow your yard, don't call me. Don't, don't send in yeah don't send an email uh, asking for someone to mow your yard because I'll I'm I mean, I'm still using a ride more. <laughs> Not gonna be pushing it anymore either. Uh, but it, but you're right. I mean I, I you know like Daniel was saying. I mean even with Paul. I mean you know if you don't believe you know and I'm just you know, thinking what Paul would say, if you don't believe me, then, you know, go ask the guy on this road or in this little community, you know, just like, uh, that firsthand account, just like, you know, the older gentleman was telling me, talking to me about his grandmother walking around in her little kitchen when he was a little kid about the civil war. I mean, it's, it's all validated. And I didn't question anything he said, cause I believed it, you know? So, um, that's a good point, Daniel. Thank you. You got us off. We plugged a book and, uh, I'm not going to mow any yards. That's awesome. So you right. killed, killed two birds with one stone. I would like to go back to the the big idea, the big question of, I'd like to kind of get your take on and Joe's too. When you hear the word Messiah, how do you kind of break that down? Not as a Merriam Webster dictionary definition, but if someone says, well, you know, Jesus is the Messiah, but what is the Messiah? What is that? That's a, that's a great question. You know, the term Messiah maybe doesn't mean as much to a modern audience today, but it's a very theologically loaded term. I mean, the Messiah was was prophesied. The, the Jewish people were looking forward to the Messiah coming for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of, of years uh, before he came. And there had been, you know, numerous, really thousands of years, there had been prophecies about him coming. So there's all of this built-up anticipation as to when the Messiah comes, who he's going to be, what he's going to do. And a lot of people have their own ideas about what he's going to do. And Jesus Jesus didn't always meet the expectations of what everybody thought the Messiah was going to be. He met the expectations of what God had foretold the Messiah was going to be. But people get their own ideas. Um, another thing we need to understand with the Messiah is that term Messiah is is synonymous with the word Christ. Christ is just the the Greek uh, translation of that Hebrew word Messiah. So when we say Jesus the Christ or Jesus Christ, we're making a claim that he is uh, that he is the Messiah. So you can use that interchangeably there. Um, but what what it really means there then is if Jesus is this person that was going to be sent by God for the uh, for the deliverance of Israel, that this long-awaited uh, Messiah of Christ, Son of God, then that has tremendous weight uh, for us. That gives him authority, and if he has that authority, then we're subject to that authority. And so that's why it's worth us taking time you know, now and, and 
throughout life, really, to to go back and and verify, make sure you know we're not looking forward to the side the way that the, the Old Testament Jews were, but him filling that role still has ramifications and burden for us today. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. Um, and because like you said, it, I think it goes back to context and, uh, you know, I was thinking driving, uh, from work this afternoon, I saw some people walking on the side of the street and, and I think about Messiah and evangelism. And I just, I, I don't, in the circles that I'm in in my secular work and, I just don't hear a lot of anybody talking about evangelism. If I went up to somebody and I mentioned evangelism, I think I would get a crinkling of the eyebrows or they would like take three steps back. And I saw these people walking to close the loop and I, they looked like, I thought they were door knocking at first. And it got me thinking about evangelism, how that's such a foreign concept of people, it, even in our little community on the average. And I think sure. about the word Messiah, that that too is another foreign concept that people would struggle with that, that they would, have just a, a very different uh, view or definition of what you just explained. And I think uh, people kind of get hung up, but yet if you said president Lincoln, I go back to that analogy, not to, not to beat up on the, that idea. But I, if you mention that and then people are all ears, you know, that they are, but yet if you mean, if you mention Messiah, then everybody just kind of gets really concerned or uncomfortable sometimes. But I think that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing with soul training because all souls are important. Um, uh, so give me, we've, we've talked about what the Messiah is, and we know that the Bible teaches Jesus is the Messiah, um, and we believe that. But there's also other, other works out there that are extra biblical, I guess, outside of the Bible. Can you talk about some of those? Uh, if and, and Daniel, I, I don't want to cut in front of you, but I'm just going to read one. I'm just going to read about one historian that I've read a little bit. Um, uh, Josephus, and just a little, if, you, if you're not familiar with him, he was a Jewish Jewish historian, and he wrote two books as an as one guy, a commentator, put an apology for the Jewish nation, apology meaning in defense of, not apologizing, but in defense of. And in one of his books, Josephus, and I'm reading a direct quote from this book, he said, and he's talking about Jesus, and just a real quick look through the lens of Josephus. Josephus is not... Uh, a Bible writer. He's not an inspired Bible writer. He's not, he didn't write a letter. He's not included in the Bible. He's an outsider, we might say, but he says this about Christ. And there arose about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if indeed we should call him a man, for he was a doer of marvelous deeds, a teacher of men who received the truth, received the truth with pleasure. He led, he was led away uh, by many Jews and all he led away many Jews and Greeks. I'm sorry. This man was the Christ, and when Pilate had condemned him to the cross on his impeachment by the chief men among us, those who loved him at first did not cease, for he appeared to them on the third day alive again, and the divine prophets having spoken these and thousands of other wonderful things about him. And even now the tribe of Christians so named after him has not yet died out. And this is an ancient historian who wrote, about Christ, who wrote about his death, burial, and resurrection. And he even said, I can't say it as eloquently as Josephus does, but he says basically their love did not die. They were, they were not spurned away. It only increased uh, because of this man called Christ. And he even refers to Christians as the tribe of Christians have not yet died out. And, you know, 
and I don't want to cut I don't want to cut Daniel off, but I was thinking, you know, we hear of these historians, Josephus, Tacitus, other Roman historians, they weren't really friends, you know, of the Jews. So they were writing from an opposite perception or perspective than what Christians were. It was kind of like writing about the enemy, right? Yeah, it's it's called a hostile witness. But there's still information that you can get from a hostile witness. Uh, you know, some of those that you mentioned before, I don't know if Alan has any uh, quotes from them handy. Um, but what you're going to get from these, these extra biblical references are not necessarily meant as endorsements of Jesus, but they are going to be testimony to the historicity of Jesus. And the, it's an observation. The, uh, yeah. Um, so you're going to find out that early on, yes, there, there were these Christian followers of, of someone that they believed to be the Christ, this, this Jesus that they, they thought was the Messiah. Um, so at least you're getting from that some ancient testimony that, you know, the middle age, the, the church in the middle ages didn't just make all this up out of whole cloth. You know, there, there's, there's old, old evidence um, that he was in the conversation and that, that things were, were happening. And, and I, I did have, I did, did bring a couple other folks with me, um, but we'll share, uh, but I'm about to finish up with Josephus. Uh, there's another point. He writes that the high priest Ananias brought before the Sanhedrin, a man named James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ and certain others. He accused them of having transgressed the law and condemned, condemned, condemned them to be stoned to death. So like you said here, Joseph, Josephus testifies that Jesus was a historical figure, uh, that James was his brother. Jesus was a teacher. He was called Christ, that he did good deeds, that he was condemned by Pilate to the cross, and that Christians were the people who followed his teachings. And like you said there again, uh, an outsider, you might say, uh, not writing uh, an endorsement or anything at all, but just stating what he saw and heard and experienced, you know, so th for the, those who are, who want to do away with the Bible, when it comes to talking about whether Christ existed or not, I mean, here we can kind of push the Bible just a little bit to the side on the table, but then we can show you ancient historians who validate the life of Christ. If, if you don't want to accept the Bible. And I'll, I'll bring up another, um, back to the book. I was, I won't, I won't take this thought as my own, but it, it makes sense. In cold case Christianity, one thing he talks about is whenever there's a movement and the leader dies, well, lots of times people disperse. And I, like, like cults. Like cults, yeah. Uh, people disperse because leader's gone. I'm not going to be persecuted for this anymore because it's not true. But with Christianity, those who were closest to Christ, the apostles, they carried on the work after Christ died. And not only did they carry it on, as secular history tells us all, but John died a martyr's death, some horrible, gruesome death by crucifixion or being uh, impaled one way or another. Uh, if they had not seen those things firsthand, you know, what would have been their motivation to take that lie to the grave? Right. And then put themselves and others in jeopardy. Right. Uh, but you're right. Yeah, their, their dedication gets more intense when their leader dies uh, instead of falling apart. That's not the way things would happen in a normal human course of events. 
I like that. Uh, I like, the, I'm going to read that book. I like that about, uh, you're right. Cause I've studied cults a little bit before and, uh, and that's what happens is the cult, the leader dies and then the movement dies. Well, one or two things will happen. They will find another leader or it'll just break apart. And neither one of that happened. Neither one of those options happened with, with, uh, the time of Christ. Yeah, 2000 years ago. And still we're, you know, while we're here tonight, you know, spending time to try to push that message out. Um, well, Daniel, uh, you can go ahead. If you had another point you made, I just was going to, you know, when it comes well, to evidence and cause I had some other writers I was going to throw out there at it whenever a time's appropriate. Yeah. If you want to do some more writers, go ahead and do that. There were two other lines of evidence that I wanted to hit before we run out of time. But, um, if you want to grab some more riders, now would be the time. We've got about five more minutes, guys. Okay, maybe skip the riders then. <laughs> well, and I'll um, tell you this. Um, I know this is kind of, uh, you can't see us. Daniel, if he sounds a little funny, is remote calling into the show today. So that's why usually we do that sort of stuff behind the scenes. But I'll tell you, we've got about about five minutes left in the show. Okay, then you can go Yeah, ahead. so if, if I've seemed a little bit remote today, that's... That's wise. Zing. I've, I've been in. I've been in the room. I've been in the room before and had that distant look on my face. Sure so I understand. I can relate. About when I got fired from mowing, I was just staring off in the That's distance. It. Right. No more milk. Well, you know, one nice thing about a, a job mowing is you're encouraged to take shortcuts. Well, that's what I was trying to tell him. He just wasn't feeling it when he told me to get off his All right, well, Before the the rest of the time gets uh, gets squandered here. One of the cool things about the this specific topic is we're talking about the identity of Jesus is this is one of those topics that we can go right back to the apostles' sermons as recorded in the new ter- in the New Testament and see exactly how they handled that very topic because this is something they preached on all the time. This maybe it was the main thing that they preached on is who Jesus was. And they time and time again, uh, come down to two lines of evidence that they appeal to for establishing the identity of Jesus. And the first line of evidence that they appeal to every single time is is prophecy. They're going back to uh, that Old Testament and looking at the, um, I mean, as Peter is preaching to the crowd in, at Solomon's portico in Acts chapter uh, three, he says in verse 18, the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. And then again, when he's uh, preaching to the Gentiles for the first time uh, in the household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, he's still saying of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So they're going back to that that prophecy. I think we've already had a a an episode about uh, prophecy, and so maybe, dear re- listener, you want to go back and and check that episode out. But the the Old Testament creates this prophetic fingerprint by which the Messiah could be positively and uniquely identified. You know, Isaiah reveals the manner of the Messiah's birth. It's going to be of a virgin. Micah pinpoints the place of his birth. It's going to be Bethlehem. Genesis and Jeremiah specify his ancestry. He's going to be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob from the tribe of Judah and the house of David. The Psalms foretold his betrayal, his accusation by false witnesses, his manner of death, that he's going to be pierced in his hands and feet, although crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet. 
and his resurrection that he would not uh, decay but would ascend on high. And there, there's just no way for one man statistically to have fulfilled all of all these prof- uh, prophecies by accident or even trying to do it on purpose because some of them would have been beyond his control. You know, like the Sanhedrin offering Judas 30 pieces of silver, his, his ancestry, where he's born, when he's born, his method of execution. Those things are not under his control. He couldn't fulfill those things on purpose if he was just setting out to try to uh, fulfill all that. Um, and there's a time prohibits us from really going into uh, too much detail there. But the the odds of one person feeling that prophetic fingerprint personally uh, perfectly are, are just staggering. That's one line of evidence. The second line of evidence that the apostles always come back to is the the resurrection. That the importance of the resurrection just cannot be overstated. You know, Alan, you already read from First Corinthians chapter fifteen. That chapter just just gushes over the importance of the the resurrection. I mean, that's there's a a concept called um, Pascal's wager. Yep. You know, Pascal was, mm-hmm. uh, do what? I, I'm familiar with that. You're familiar? Yeah. The Pascal is a 17th century, uh, French philosopher, mathematician that basically Pascal's wager is that, you know, if you, uh, are a, if you believe in God and live accordingly, then if you're right, you've, you've done the right thing. If you're wrong, you've still lived a good life. But if you disbelieve in God and live accordingly, if you're wrong, well, you've, you know, you're going to be lost eternally. Uh, and if you're right, well, you didn't gain that much. So it just on the balance, he argues you're, you're better off believing in God because if, if you're it better to be wrong, believing in God than, uh, than wrong, not believing in God. Um, exactly. But Paul doesn't buy that. That's not, that's not Paul's line of thinking in verse 19. Paul says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Paul's not buying that. Paul wants truth. And he says, if if the resurrection didn't happen, if we only hoped in Jesus in this life only, and Jesus is not who he says he is, we, you ought to feel sorry for us. We're more to be pitied than anybody else out there. We have not just lived the, the best life. We've lived a lie. So, you know, Paul has a very different attitude about that, and he really hinges that hope on the on the resurrection. Um, I don't know how much time you want to spend on talking about evidences for the, the resurrection. Well, we're getting that might be a that might be part two of this. I think we could continue that. But I did. Find, I looked up the stati- you mentioned statistics. I looked up the statistical probability of Jesus. Uh, of of any man being able to fulfill those prophecies. And uh, I found that there was a professor at, let me see here, Westmont College that had his students do some work there. And if they took eight prophecies from the Old Testament and said if if there was one person, there was you had a one in 10 to the 17th power of being the one of one person that could fulfill eight prophecies. Well, we know that Jesus fulfilled what, 48 or more prophecies? And so yeah, they said... Yeah, there's major ones. 
Yeah, and so Jesus, Jesus, let's say he fulfilled 48 of those prophecies, then that would be 10 to the 157th power, which is like so for, a gazillion <laughs> or so. For reference, you know, so Joe just told us that uh, that odd is 1 in 10 to the 157th power. There are only 10 in the 80th power atoms in the known universe. Dropping some science on us. Yeah, that's why I'm OER. So that- <laughs> well, I'm I Googled it. But anyhow, it's overwhelming that he is the one that fulfilled those prophecies. You can't, uh, folks that uh, discard that, I don't think that they're really being intellectually honest. Not being analytically correct either. Right. Um, well, Daniel, I, this has been a great discussion. Our time has flown. And, and I just, and I like how you always close us out. And I want you to do that. But I just wanted to, our dear listener to think about two questions and three points question number one or question was Jesus a historical person? Well, ancient non-Christian writers, historians say he was Christians who wrote after the apostolic time say he was the new Testament say says that he was, and the evidence is available to all of us. But the question is, what will you do with the evidence? Right. Absolutely. That is the question. And speaking of questions, uh, listeners, if you have some questions that you would like to uh, talk to us about, you'd like us to address, or maybe you want to chime in on on this question. Why do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? What difference does that make in, in your life? We'd love to hear about it. And you can email us at, um, at soultrainingpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear it, and we want to thank the elders at the South Green Street Church of Christ for making this uh, show possible. We want to thank our producer, Big Show Joe, and my co-host, Big Al Jones, and I'm Daniel Gaines, and until next time, keep soul training. Got soul training. Time to practice what you preach. Ooh, yeah. Yes, we do. We've got soul training. To learn more, you can email us at soultrainingpodcast at gmail.com, or you can write to us, P.O. Box 503, Glasgow, Kentucky, 42142. That's Soul Training.